Morning. Please take your Bibles and please turn to Jeremiah 17. It's going to be our springboard into our passage this morning as we're going to be continuing on our look in the Gospel of John chapter 1, but I want to preface it with this verse first. As we're talking about John the Baptist called of God, man of God. There was a man sent by God, his name was John. And he had a, a job to do, and that was to preach the gospel, to make the crooked way straight, to uh, bring to the people the understanding of the truth of the Lord, to get them right with the Lord. But uh, there's something I want to point out with it that, that struck me about John. His boldness, his power, standing there full of the Holy Ghost, telling the people the, the truth of the Lord, uh, speaking against the Pharisees, and uh, uh, making the crooked understandings straight in the name of the Lord. And what was John like? And this is what the Lord really pointed out to me, as I want to preface this. John, uh, Jeremiah 17, please look at verse 8. Jeremiah 17, verse 8. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters... And that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh, for her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now, go back to Psalm. Psalms chapter 1. Verse 3. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Okay, let's pray. Our Lord, we do thank you for this day, for this time, and Lord, for the truth and the power of your word. I pray, Lord, that you please bless it. That, Lord, that it would truly enlighten the hearts and the minds, and that, Lord, you'd keep away the enemy. Lord, that uh, you would silence flesh, and Lord, that you would silence and bind evil spirit that may try to distract or hinder. Lord, you put a great hedge of protection about us, and you bless this study, this reading. Lord, that your spirit would truly be upon us to understand your word, that you would bless it, that you would be honored and glorified. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so go over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So, we've been taking a look at John, an interesting man, a man sent by God, full of power, and he didn't care what other people said, what other people thought of him. Very bold, and he told the truth regardless of the outcome, regardless of what other, other people thought. And what was he doing? At the River Jordan, he was preaching the truth, bold, steadfast, rooted, grounded in the faith, like a tree. At the, at the side of the river. Bold, again, just a picture here. The Lord says, if you trust in me, look to me, I will make you like this. And John, the greatest of all the prophets, trusting in the Lord was made just like that. Like a giant, mighty oak, just standing there, just bellowing up the word of God and saying it as it is, bringing people to the knowledge of the truth. The Pharisees, trying to distract and trying to figure out what this is about, and he telling them off, showing them how they're nothing but a generation of vipers. 
because they are preaching religiosity. They are preaching law-keeping to earn, to gain, maintain, to keep, to self-atone. They are teaching churchianity will save you in some way, shape, or form. As Jesus says, they look beautiful on the outside, but inward they, they were full of rottenness and dead bones. They had not the love of God in them. And this is what it comes down to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to understand God, you've got to understand Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, Jesus says. You want to understand God, you look at Jesus, who is God Almighty, manifested in the flesh. 1 John 5.20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. John chapter 1, the Word, which is God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Timothy, God was manifest in the flesh. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus. you got to know who he is, what he came to do, why he came, how I'm a sinner. For all have sinned, all have fallen away, all have become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We're all sinners. Every last one of us are sinners. Separated from God because of our sin, all of us deserve to go to hell. All of us deserve the condemnation. Every last one, for there's none that doeth good. God is not going to weigh your good against your bad. He is not going to examine, uh, see if you earn your salvation because you kept commandments or locking. No, you've already broken it. We've already broken it all. This is what John is preaching. He's making the crooked because people's ideas are crooked, thinking because I did this, I keep this, I am this. And John even said to them, say not because I am of Abraham, all because you're a descendant of Abraham that you can't get into heaven by Abraham's coattails, all because your bloodline, your lineage, or whatever else, anything that you do does not merit favor. Now, what was John doing? He was preaching the gospel, but he was also baptizing. For what purpose? What reason? Why was he doing this? Well, this again, which a lot of people fail to understand. Look at John as we're going through here. This is what John is doing, so we need to examine because some people misunderstand what he's doing. It's not the waters that save, but the belief of God, but the belief of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, who came down manifest in the flesh as Jesus. So what John is preaching is, as we examined it, is the same way of salvation all down through the Word of God ever since the beginning. What Nebuchadnezzar, interesting, wrote Daniel chapter 4. He believed on the Lord. He got saved. Eh? Nebuchadnezzar got saved. Did Nebuchadnezzar have to become a good Jew and go to Israel, keep the commandments and the laws and do all this stuff? Oh, no. What about the 120,000 Ninevites that got saved by the preaching of Jonah? Did they have to go to Israel and do all the stuff and keep the law and all these things? Or were they saved by grace? Nebuchadnezzar was saved by grace. No, John 3.16 is Old Testament. So we look at this. God saves the same way all down through. It's always been the same way of the same spirit, of the same work, of the same God. And we see John here is preaching belief. He's preaching belief, because belief saves. Ephesians uh, 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. 
So we see that your sins are forgiven and you're sealed by the Spirit of God by belief. Acts 10.43, when you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, your sins are forgiven. So again, all down through, John 3.18, if you have not believed, you're condemned already. But if you do believe, you're not condemned. For there is now therefore no condemnation then which are in Christ Jesus. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is what saves you. When you look at the jailer, when he looked at uh, the apostle, Paul says, Sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul not say? He didn't say go to church, keep the commandments. He didn't even say get baptized. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The same gospel that Jesus preached to Nicodemus. The same gospel that Jesus preached actually in his first sermon in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John preached, repent. If he had not repented, well, we take a look here. What is repentance for? What is repentance? Repentance is not works. Repentance is the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. That I, the law is what convicts me. John is preaching the law, showing them how they corrupted the law, turned from the law, just as Malachi, uh, hundreds of years before, uh, did the same thing. John's showing them how they corrupted, that they cro made crooked the ways of God, the law of God. They've corrupted it. So he's showing them what the law of God is and how they are sinners. How they are sinners. And in his message, he also points at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away your sin. Not what you're doing. Not what you're doing. Now what were they doing? They were, they were coming and they were listening to him and he was preaching to them, showing them the way of salvation. And they were believing. They were repenting and believing and then what would they do to show their repentance, to show their belief? It's a, it's a symbolic thing. They would go over to John and he would baptize them in the name of the Lord as this outward sign, proclamation that they repented and believed. That's what the Word of God teaches. So why? We're just going to look at this just for a moment because there is so many people, the Catholic, the Orthodox, the Adventists, and Tons of others, many, many out there who profess to be Christians believe in a false gospel called baptismal regeneration. That they're regenerated, made new, that they're saved, their sins are forgiven, that salvation comes by water. Which is robbing Christ, which is robbing the cross, which is robbing the blood, which is cheapening salvation. Because, let me just ask you a quick question. If I believe in Jesus to be saved, but my sins are forgiven, or I'm not sealed by the Spirit of God, or I'm not saved until I get dunked in water. So I believe in Jesus, but I'm not saved until I get dunked in water. So what if I'm out in town, and you witness the gospel to me, and I believe it, you're telling me that even though I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not saved, my sins aren't dealt with until I drive to the church building, and I get dunked in water? What happens if I die in between that? Saved from what? I believe in Jesus to be saved from what? Someone tell me. Saved from what? Condemnation of your sins. Saved from the condemnation of my sins. So, as we see all down through the Word of God, it's the blood of atonement. And He is the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The blood of Jesus Christ is what atones for my sins. Not water. 
Water is the outward sign. Now, people misunderstand Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. See, they said, see, see, washing saves. Washing regeneration. No, 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 no. What did John the Baptist say? He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It's the Spirit of God that comes down, though my sins be as scarlet, they should wash whiter than snow, though they be red like crimson, they should wash white like wool. How? By the blood of the atonement, the Spirit of Christ comes upon you, washes you clean by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Ghost. Titus 3.5. That's what that is. But it's taking the work of regeneration from the Holy Ghost and putting it on a cup of water <laughs> or a bathtub or a baptismal tank or a river, that not that robbing Christ? And would that not then be a false gospel? Why is baptismal regeneration not the gospel of Jesus Christ? John was not preaching baptismal regeneration as many, many say he was. Because the other issue is adding to the message of grace. Because uh, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that, what does it say? Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3.5, not by righteous works also. That's religiosity. Now, this is a quick question. Would water baptism be a righteous work of you? Because it's a physical act that you have to do to merit something. So it's a righteous work. It's a work of religiosity. Titus 3.5 says, no, it's not. It's not by righteous works. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. That I didn't merit it, I didn't earn it, it's not a reward, I don't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, the infinite sheer mercy of God that I don't deserve, but he gave it to me anyways. Faith is believing trust. As Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing trust. Faith is not works. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is believing trust. So, by the unmerited favor of God, by believing trust, are you saved and not of yourself? <coughs> Nothing that you could do. So, John Baptist is preaching the gospel of grace, the message of grace. The same way of salvation that, that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar got saved, that all the people of Nineveh got saved, and many others got saved in the Old Testament. All down through. John 3.16 was Old Testament. That was before the New Covenant. That was before the cross. Just keep that in mind. So baptismal regeneration is not what John's preaching. He's preaching the message of grace. Grace is no longer grace if I must do something in addition to believing a work, an action, uh, uh, some, something that's an additional requirement. Grace ceases to exist. Baptism would be a righteous work as you don't have forgiveness until you do this thing. That is an action that, that, that is done and your salvation then is not complete then by that logic. That's not grace. If baptism also were so important in that aspect, then why didn't Jesus say so in John 3, 15 to 18? He said nothing about baptism. He only said believe. He said unbelief damns you, belief saves you. Why didn't Paul say so then in Acts 16, 30, 31? Why did Paul say that he was glad he didn't baptize any except a few in 1 Corinthians 1, 14 to 16? If water baptism was a requirement, then why did, John, uh, sorry, why did Paul say he was glad he didn't baptize them? 
wouldn't he have been glad that he did baptize because if baptism was a requirement for salvation? Why did Paul say that he does not come preaching baptism if it's a requirement in 1 Corinthians 1.17? Also, Mark 16.16 16 is one of the uh, holy grails of the baptismal regenerationists. Let's uh, take a look at Mark 16.16 16 just for a quick moment. <clears throat> Mark 16, 16. You see, what a lot of them do is they take the first half of this verse called cherry picking and they ignore the last half. In Mark 16, 16, this is uh, one of the Holy Grail verses that they misuse. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. They're like, see, see, baptism saves. Keep reading. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Unbelief damns you. Not unbaptism. It says unbelief damns you, not unbaptism. You see that? So again, it comes down to belief. Belief saves. Unbelief damns. That's what Jesus says in John 3:18. So 1 Peter 3:21 is another one that they love to use, and they try to throw John Baptist into this category, saying this is this here is what John was preaching. 1 Peter 3:21. But let's take a look at what it actually says. Was John preaching that? Now, in 1 Peter 3.21, this is why it's also so important to study the words, the meaning of words, and uh, the cross-reference, pair scripture, scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, here, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, to study your Bible, not just regurgitate what you're told, take these things like a Berean and search it out. But we see in 1 Peter 3.21. Now look what this says. The like figure. What does that mean? Figure of speech. Metaphor. Example. This is a metaphor. The like figure. Metaphor. Whereunto even baptism also doth also now save us. Look what he says. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It saves your conscience. It's an act of obedience. It's an outward proclamation, symbolic. It doesn't wash away the filth of the flesh, which is what? 1 Corinthians 6, sins of the flesh. It doesn't wash away your sin. It doesn't save your soul. It doesn't save you. It saves your conscience because it's an act of obedience because Jesus says, believe and be baptized. So believe on me, get saved, and I'll walk in obedience. Because also, baptism, I just want to segue here into another example. Baptism, as is seen, the washing of water in the Old Testament was given as a, uh, an action to the Levitical priesthood. That when, a, when a, a priest was ready to begin their service of serving the Lord, to show that they were ready, they would get washed with water. To demonstrate outward that they're clean before God. Another great example is uh, marriage. We take a look at marriage that when you are standing uh, up there and you're giving the vows, what marries you? The vows or the ring? It's the vows. The ring is the symbol of your vows. 
as this ring is symbolic of the vows I gave to my wife of marriage, water baptism, in a sense, is the ring, the symbolic ring in your marriage to Christ. When you give the vows to the Lord, you vow yourself to the Lord in belief, and you seal it with water. The water is not a requirement for salvation, as you see the thief on the cross, for example. He did nothing. Did they take him down off the cross and wash him and put him back up? <laughs> no. But uh, rather, we see, his belief saved him. Lord, remember me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He was saved because he believed. He, he knew nothing. As Alistair Begg says, uh, the great, this is, says, I want to find that man. I get to heaven. Just ask him. You know, to, to, how, how did this shake out for you? How did this work? Because you did nothing. You knew nothing. You, 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 at that very moment, you were joining in the other thief, cursing Jesus out. And then, one moment, you're calling him Lord. And then Jesus says, oh, you're going to be with me in paradise. You take a look at this, the perfect example. But what they'll say, the baptismal generation say, well, that, that, that was an exception. That was an exception. That the Lord, he just he did a separate special thing for him. No, it's only one way, one truth, one life. God doesn't make uh, 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 other other examples for other people. He doesn't uh, change the gospel of salvation for someone else. It's one way, one uh, one truth, one life. Now, as we see as well in Romans 10, 9 to 10, Apostle Paul says salvation is wrought by confession of the belief of the heart. The confession of the belief of the heart. Not by what you did, not because you were good, not because you read your Bible, go to church, pray, sing the hymns, and you're, and you're a good... Christian and you keep the Christian morals and all these other things that that does that has nothing to do with your salvation That's discipleship That's discipleship, but as Apostle Paul says salvation is of the heart of the belief of the heart Now Philip the evangelist with the Ethiopian eunuch And so we take a look at this one the eunuchs come down the road and uh, the Lord tells Philip to go join himself to the chariot and he gets up there and he hears uh, the, the Ethiopian reading, Isaiah 53, which is the ancient prophecy of the Christ Messiah that would come. How he would uh, take upon him our iniquities and his days would be prolonged, he'd be resurrected. And then as explaining all this through, they're coming down and they see a pool of water. The eunuch says, what hinders me to be baptized? Now, you would think, if water was a requirement, Philip would have answered differently. But Philip says, if you believe, you may. Why did he say it that way? Because it's belief that saves, because unbelief damns. If you believe, you get baptized in the name of the Lord. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 36-37, indicating after belief, one is baptized. Why? Because belief is salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from what? What is one saved from? Salvation from what? Blood shed for what? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he shed his blood and die? Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Blood is what atones for sin, not water. Not water. John Baptist is not preaching that the water that I'm dunking you in, as I dunk you in the water, your sins are gone. No, he said because you believed, you repented and believed, God, only God can take away sin. Only God can forgive sin. The only thing that the Pharisees ever said that was right. 
Because in Jesus is preaching and they let the man down on the bed. And the first thing Jesus says, son, thy sins be forgiven. And the Pharisees, who, who is this one that, that, that doth blaspheme? There's only one that can forgive sins, that is God. Well, they were right. They were right. God did forgive sins. So as you see, blood saves, blood atones, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which is given for the sin of the world. So you see, he gave himself, without the, the, the wages of sin is death. There must be death, the shedding of blood, for sin. And this is seen as symbolically through the sacrifice of the Lamb in the Old Covenant. And then the New Covenant came, and Jesus says, this cup is the New Covenant in my blood. It's a covenant, not a contract. Because otherwise, baptismal regeneration is a contract. Because God does his part, I do my part, and we come to the outcome. But it's a covenant, a covenant of one, a promise of one, and it's by belief alone by the Lord God. Redemption through his blood, by the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.13. And this is done by trusting and believing the gospel, not because you got dunked. Baptismal regeneration is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a false gospel. Baptismal regeneration would be a righteous works-based system of salvation, contradicting Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness. So we see John Baptist, if we go back to John 1, John Baptist is up there at the river, like a mighty oak, preaching them, look, this is how it is, and people are getting ticked off. Pharisees are mad, Sadducees are mad, other people are upset, some people think he's just a crazy man, and everything else, but does he care? Nope, he keeps preaching the truth. Does a mighty, mighty oak, is it worried about wind and storm? Nah, nothing can move it. It's a mighty oak standing there for hundreds of years, those mighty trees, and that's exactly what the Lord does, standing in His Word and His doctrine and the faith and trust and the belief and the power of God, nothing can shake us. He is our mighty uh, our fortress. He is the, uh, the mighty rock on which we're built, and uh, nothing will move us as long as we stay with Him, what He says, His Word, His truth, the gospel of the Lord God, Jesus Christ. And John is saying to the people, look, only this one, behold, look at him, Jesus. This one here, Jesus. Modern society would tell you that Jesus didn't even exist. Well, we take a look at all of the archaeological discoveries to prove the Bible true, all the historicity, the written documentation has been proven beyond measure. Tacitus, Josephus, many others wrote of him, and they are verified sources, justified sources. Even the Smithsonian Museum uses the Bible to, uh, be, uh, in their research and everything because of its absolute uh, accuracy in historical people, places, and things. They don't believe in God, per se, but they see that the historicity of it is so accurate. Or even Richard Dawkins, the leader of New Atheism, was in an open-air debate with Professor John Lennox, and Richard Dawkins had to uh, openly admit, he had to recant his previous position and admit that Jesus did exist due to the overwhelming facts and evidences. Everything in the Word of God is true and actually happened. There is a God. You're not an animal. You can't get there by any other way. He's not going to weigh your good against your bad. Not because you're, you went to church, did this or that, but because you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you repented and believed the gospel. This is what John is preaching. This is what he's about. And he's not going to move from this hill. This is what it is. There's only one way, one truth, one life. Look at verse 29 of John 1. 
The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which take away the sin of the world. Behold. Behold Him. How do you see Jesus? Is He just an idea? Is He just a, a consideration? Is He just a lifestyle? Is He just a, some religious observance? Or is He a person to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is He? We'll go down to verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as He walked... As he, verse 35, John the Baptist here stood with two of his disciples. Verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, the way, the, the way that Jesus is leading, John says, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. He didn't say behold the river. He didn't say behold the baptismal tank. He didn't say behold your good deeds. He didn't say behold the temple. He said behold the Lamb of God, that which atones for sins, the sacrificial Lamb. Just as we see, for example, in the Old Testament, we see Abraham and Isaac. God told Abraham, take thy son and only son Isaac up into the mount and offer him up there as a sacrifice. Abraham believing in the promise of God, that God would keep his promise of his offspring and the people to come, knew that the Lord would deal with it, that even if he would raise Isaac from the dead. He knew this, he trusted, he believed. He went up and bound Isaac, put him on the altar, took the knife, and God stopped his hand created the ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Picture the scene. Abraham's there at the knife. Isaac is bound up. He can't do anything. There's a ram in the thicket by its horns. What does that mean? Crowned with thorns. He was crowned with thorns. This one over here that God provided a gift, a, a way out, crowned with thorns on Mount Moriah, which is also known as Mount Golgotha, FYI. And we see the ram crowned with thorns was then the substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac is what saved him from the knife, the picture of the sword of the wrath of God. All down through scripture, the same way, same truth, same life as the prophets were the Old Testament evangelists. That they preached the way of salvation of God by grace through faith. And John Baptist here, the greatest of all the prophets, Jesus says, preaching the same thing that Jesus preached, that the apostles preached, that I'm preaching to you today. It's the same way God doesn't change, neither does His way of salvation, neither does His atonement, and it's not by water, not by works, not by righteous works, not by law-keeping, not by deeds, not by churchianity, not because you wore a fancy suit, not because you did this or that, and abstained from this or that, but because you believed you're saved. Do you believe? Do you believe on the only begotten Son of God? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? It's belief that saves. It's belief that atones. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Jesus Christ is our knowledge. We see throughout the scriptures, Jesus Christ is our justification, just as if I've never sinned. What justifies us before God? Water or blood? As we see this, now... You're in John. Go over to John chapter 3 just for a moment. One more. I just want to refute. Because so you understand what John is doing. What John is doing here. In John chapter 3. And we want to go down to verse 5. John chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water 
and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. They're like, see, see, you must be born again by water. No, that's called cherry picking. Keep reading. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. <clears throat> that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Is water spiritual or physical? Is it a physical element or is it a spiritual element? Water is a physical element. So what did Jesus say? Back up in verse 3. Go back up in verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, meaning truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, second birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that, as we see, that which is born of, of water and spirit can enter the kingdom of God, which is born of the flesh is flesh, first birth. That which is born of the spirit, spirit, second birth. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Born again. Born again. You must be born again. You're born once physically. You're in the, you're in the book of life. Note, it's a book of life. But note in the Revelation, there's a second book called the Lamb's Book of Life. There's the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. You can be struck out of the book of life, like Ananias and Sapphira, or the man in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. It, it, your life can be taken. He'll be delivered unto the devil for the destruction of the flesh, but his spirit is still saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. But he's, his spirit is in the Lamb's book of life. So it's a second birth. You're born once, you must be born again. Second birth. You're born of flesh. You're born of water. When a, when a baby's born, apparently there's a lot of water as well as blood. You're born of water. You're born of water and of the Spirit, because the Spirit is dead. You're dead in spirit before the Lord in your sins, dead in your sins. You must be brought to life, quickened, regenerated, made new. John Baptist is showing this. He's showing this. In his preaching, his teaching, he's showing them. He's simplifying it. He's cutting out all, all of the error. He's, he's bending the way back by the strength, the power of the Lord. He grabs a hold of their conscience, of their understanding, and he bends it back. And he straightens out before the Lord. He says, look, this is the way that God is able of these stones to raise up. Say not because I'm of Abraham, and not because of your works, not because of what you've done, O Pharisees. It doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter what you've done, he's able to save. Just come to the Lord, repent, and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, it's so close, it's right there. Behold him. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves. He saves. Others will tell you that, that uh, this life is all there is. Others will tell you it's because it just, this love God and be good. Just, Love Jesus and be good or whatever. But what does the Lord say? It's more than deeds. It's more than conscience. It's more than knowledge. You can miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance from the brain to the heart. Because it's not the head knowledge that saves. You may know. You may have been told. You may believe in Jesus. Intellectually, that doesn't save. You can go straight to hell believing in it must be of the heart. Believe on. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You sit in that chair. It is, you place yourself upon it. it there he is. It's a, it's a full personal acceptation. You believe on him. You accept him. You embrace him. You go before the cross and say, oh yeah, I see that. I get it. I, I believe that. Romans 10, 9. If you do, then tell him. If you do, then tell him. 
Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord, God, and Savior? And John here is telling the people, you say you believe in the God of Israel. You say you believe in the prophets. You say you understand this. Then prove it. Get yourself right with the Lord because this is what the Lord says. It doesn't matter what the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes and the rabbis are telling you. It doesn't matter who or what they are, what books they've written, how big a name they are, how much notoriety or fancy they dress, how big their phylacteries are, whatever else. It matters what the Lord says. Stop corrupting the sacrifice by adding other things to it. So as we see, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, John 1, look at this. So John says to his disciples, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. And I'm going to end with verse 38 and 39 here. Then Jesus turned. They came. They, they, John points and says, go to him. Go to him. He will save you. Go to him. He has the truth. Thou hast the words of everlasting life. Go to him. And Jesus turned and saw them following. I love the humor of Jesus. See, the way I picture him, I picture Jesus as an individual who loved to laugh. He's the God of joy. I, I believe in these kinds of situations. That Jesus, being God, he knew he knew what they were doing. But he turns, I believe he would have been smiled. He, he smiled at them and says, uh, then Jesus turned and saw them following and says to them, What seek ye? What you looking for? What you want? What you doing? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? Where is your home? Where is your abode? If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. Where is your abode? Where do you live? Where's, what's your home? And he says, come and see. Come and see. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll save you. I will bring you to my home. I will bring you to my home. And they came and they followed. They, they believed what he said. They followed. They came and saw because Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, the Spirit of God will give you the light of, the taste of, the glimpse of, the enlightenment of. Enlightenment's not salvation, by the way. It's head knowledge. But you see it. You get it. They came. They saw. And what? They saw where he dwelt and abode with him. They believed it. They accepted it. They stayed where he was. They accepted what he showed. John pointed the way. And that's what we do. We point the way. We point the way to Christ. He's the one that draws. He's the one that brings. He's the one that enlightens. He's the one that does the work. It's his atonement. It's his conviction. It's all of him. Not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, but by the faith of Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ does all the work. He does all. He does the washing, the cleansing, the saving, the regenerating, the redeeming, the sanctifying. He does it all. It's His home. It's His work. It's all of Him. None of me. That's the very definition of grace. Amen. He accepted them into His fellowship. He accepted them into His home by grace. They didn't earn it. It wasn't a reward. Not because they did this or that or anything. They came just as they are, as they were. They were sent by John, they just came as they were. And Jesus saw them standing there. Who knows if they have been dirty or what? Who knows? They're probably baptizing. They're probably pretty clean. But uh, they're standing there just as they are. He accepts them just as they are. And he cleanses them. He teaches them. He shows them. 
I, I said that was going to be it, but one more, one more. I'm all excited right now. So you see in verse 40, And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first finded his own brother. What, what did we do? Go and make disciples. And to us is given the message of reconciliation. He goes and makes disciples. He first he goes and finds his brother Simon. And says to him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him and said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Will you follow me? Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, clearly we see here, Philip did believe. Philip findeth Nathanael. It said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? I'll end on this. What if Philip, who went to Jesus, was accepted by Jesus, who believed in Jesus, and just in a very, very short period of time here, learned of Jesus, what did he say? Look what he says. Philip says, come and see. Back up. Verse 39. What did Jesus say to them that came? Come and see. Repeat the same words of the same Lord, of the same gospel, the same spirit, of the same Lord, and was saved in the same way. Come and see. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and see who he is. And he will show all those who come to me, I will no wise cast out. Uh, look at me and believe and be saved, all ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. There's none other can save. He is the name above all names. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He, in the first John 5.20, He is the true God and eternal life. Look, come and see. Come to the Lord Jesus. Come to the River Jordan. There's a man preaching there. We've never heard this before. Come and see what it is he's preaching. Who is he preaching? The Lord. He points you to the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of John. It's not the gospel of John the Baptist. It's not the gospel of regeneration by water. It's not the gospel of because I was good enough. It's not the gospel of man. It's not the gospel of works, but of the works of Jesus Christ. It is finished, is what he said on the cross. It's the full atonement, the full work. It is finished. He says, I did everything required. Saying I have to do something else in addition to, is saying he lied. But he said it's finished. I don't care who you are, what you are, what you've done, what you look like, or what your life is, seems. Come to him like the thief on the cross. Thief on the cross. Nailed to a cross for thievery. He was a criminal. Broke the law. Criminal. And he's being executed for it. And in that very moment, like Saul of Tarsus, in the process, in the middle of breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Lord and his saints, is met by Christ. He saw Christ. He accepted him. And he came to the truth. He saw the truth. And he believed the truth. And he was saved. That simple. This is who John Baptist is. He worked no miracles, no signs and wonders. He had no fame or fortune. He had nothing. He had nothing but the camel skin on his back. There was meal, grasshoppers, and wild honey. Sun burnt on the outside, filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost on the inside. He stood there as a mighty oak on the river, and he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's who John is. <clears throat>
Our Father, we do thank you for this day, for this time. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see this even that much more, Lord, to not just see, but to believe. Lord, I pray that this would truly strike our hearts and minds, that, Lord, that you would not let these things be taken away by the fowl, but, Lord, that they would be planted and rooted in our hearts and they would grow. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see and understand and believe. And, Lord, if there be any here that uh, do not believe, I pray that you would show them, you would convict them, that, Lord, that they'd be saved. I pray that they would truly see you, Lord Jesus, that they would come to you. They would see your work of your death, your blood, your resurrection, and they would believe and be saved. I pray, Lord, you would help them. And, Lord, for those here that do believe, that you would encourage them, strengthen them, and bless them by this. Lord, that you would, you would truly shine the light upon the fullness of your, of your faith and grace. Lord, I pray you bless this day. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray.